Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Oh man, the Lord is so good. We were not left as orphans. Jesus is present even here in this place. Lord, we just welcome your glory. We just welcome the glory of the Lord, the risen Savior. There's no one else to meet in this room, Jesus, except you. I pray that by the Spirit of God, you'd come and be revealed to every heart. Let hope rise up eternal. Jesus, we thank you that in a world that seems to have gone mad, that the message of the cross is an anchor still. And we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already removed from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple left, and they were going to the tomb. The two were were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooped to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. However, he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him, and he entered the tomb, and he looked at the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered then, and he saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. What I'd like to kind of focus on today is just the fact that Jesus chose to reveal himself to one particular individual, a woman, and her name was Mary Magdalene. We're going to be looking at her today, but realizing that she was an avid follower of Jesus Christ, she was all in. Suddenly on a Friday... It appeared that everything that she had invested in was being lost. She felt as though she had nothing else to hold on to. Everything else was insecure. And she had found some kind of security, belongingness. She had lost that orphan spirit. A woman without a husband, a woman without children, but a woman with the possession of a bad reputation. And as this woman was watching the crucifixion on the cross, can you imagine what she was going through? She was brave enough and bold enough to be right there. And as she was hanging on the cross, she was probably thinking, can this be? Could this be happening? Maybe she was there in hope against hope to see something that she had heard of in the Bible, but had never witnessed herself, certainly the heavens would open up and a lightning bolt would come out or fire down from heaven to consume the enemies of this one who was 
just innocent in all of his ways. He was nothing more than a healer. He loved mankind. He forgave some that no one else is willing to forgive. He gave a dead child back to its mother so that she could rejoice and restored life in him. But what's happening now? God, do you have a plan? Certainly it would unfold before life departs his body. How can this be when the spear went into his side that both water and blood came out of the womb? The evidence that it had pierced the sack around the heart that in agony fills with water and blood and water flowed out of the side of Jesus. And certainly she must have thought it, it, couldn't, it couldn't have gotten to his heart, could it? When Nicodemus asked for his body for the grave, she must have been thinking, no, 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 no. This can't be happening. Check him. Check him again. Are you sure he's dead? No, he's got to be alive. He's got to. I'm all in. He's got to be alive. Just thinking about that as she was one of those who bound his body with spices, maybe hoping for a movement, a twitter, a uh, a flutter in the eyelids, something, something, something that would indicate that everything, every hope of her life wasn't just now dead. Mary Magdalene, she loved Jesus. She loved him greatly because of what he had done for her. But the question was very strong in her mind. Was it all for nothing? I mean, after all, if he couldn't conquer his own enemies... How could I feel as though he had truly conquered my enemy? She goes, rises up early in the morning, probably because she couldn't sleep during the night at best fitfully, and she gets up while it's still dark, and she makes her way to the tomb. At least it was bright enough for her to be able to notice that when she got close to the tomb, that the stone had been pushed away. Actually, we sing songs about it being rolled away, but the word that's given there has the idea that it was pushed down, falling flat on the ground. And she witnessed this thing, and she didn't even know what to make of it. It was like insult on top of injury. Where, where is he? Why, why wasn't it enough just to crucify him on the cross? Why now do there have to be grave robbers? She's watching all this and thinking, how could this be happening? I thought the worst was over. So she notices that the stole is rolled away, and she goes to speak to her disciples. To the, I'm sorry, to the disciples of Jesus, her friends. She goes to speak with Peter and John, and she goes to meet them. Then we find out in the story that we just read is that they take off running. And John is the writer of the book, so he found it important to let all of us know that he beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> and so they get up to the tomb, and we find out that John, though, stops, but Peter can't stop being Peter. So Peter dashes inside, because what? He's the first one out of the boat to try to walk on water, right? So when he gets to the tomb, he goes in. And then he finds out that in that place that there is an unfolding folding event that happened. And while he's there in the tomb, he notices that the means by which Jesus had been bound with linen cloths were lying on one part of the tomb. 
And yet he saw that the, the napkin, or actually if you look at the original word that was written there in the Greek, it's, it's called the sweat cloth. Because they would carry that to wipe their face. And they go into this place and then first off they realize, well, this wasn't just grave robbers coming in and picking up the body and carrying it out because who would unwrap it? And suddenly, faith begins to unfold in their hearts. They were as desperate as Mary Magdalene was for hope at that moment. And then we find out that someone had very meticulously and carefully left a sign for them. How beautiful it was. When we read in that passage about how Jesus was bound, it says he was bound hands and he was bound feet. I want us to understand that that helps us to understand that he wasn't just wrapped in a huge sheet. Each limb was wrapped separately. Even if we read the story of Lazarus, he was able to walk out of the tomb because his legs were wrapped separately. But in this understanding of all of this, we find out that Jesus who very likely took the napkin off of his own face and began to unwind his arms and his legs, did it in a way to help his disciples to understand that he cared. We can't even begin to project what was going through the mind of Jesus, but just thinking about this, that the scriptures teach us very clearly, that when Jesus died, he went into the underworld. He descended into Sheol, or Hades, the storage place of all those who had died who were not under the blood and the, the power and the victory of the cross, that all of humanity was in this place of the valley of the shadow of death, Hades. And that Jesus on the cross when he died entered on the journey of all humanity. Jesus took the path that we deserved. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But Jesus is the first one. And my journey was a journey to hell, and yet Jesus took that journey for me. And it says that when he was entered into that place, that he preached his victory. And that those who were captive in that place, that he took those captive ones captive to himself. So that even when he rose from the dead, there were witnesses that walking in the streets of Jerusalem, some saw others who had died. Because there had been the invasion of Hades by a victor who obtained the keys of death and of hell. And he rose again from the dead. And Jesus is there. One moment, he's... In the underworld, the next moment, his eyes open up. And he sees the world again. Imagine that. Imagine being alone and unwinding your grave linens. Imagine then taking the time to take the napkin that was on your face and just fold it neatly to let people know, I'm okay, I'm in control, I've got all the time in the world. Maybe as he folded, he thought, this one's for Peter. Mm -hmm. 
This one's for John. This is for Mary Magdalene. And this is for all those who will believe in me. So that when they would walk in, they would be like, whoa, someone very much alive has been in this place. We also learn from Hebrew tradition that the face cloth was like a napkin. The relationship between a servant and his master was this, is that the servant would set the table just the way that the master wanted it to be set. And then he would take the master's napkin and it would be sitting there. The master would eat with all of his guests. And at the end of the meal, he would do one of two things. Either he would just crumple up the cloth and he would lay it in a heap. And then the servant would know it's time to clear the table. The master is done. But if the master took the time before he left the table to fold the napkin, it was an indication, I'm coming back. And as you realize what Jesus doing, was doing in this moment, was giving him an understanding. It looked like it was the end of the meal. But I want you to know, it's all just beginning. Jesus has come to give life and to give life more abundantly. Jesus has come to bring hope, bring hope to every human heart. Jesus has come not to force himself on anyone against their will, but he willingly gave his life in obedience to God the Father so that he could say to all humanity, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I'm humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. We find two people, three people in this narrative, two, two disciples, the third disciple who's a woman, and we find out with all of them that they desperately needed hope on this day. They had once had an encounter with God, and now they were beginning to think, but was it all real? Was it all genuine? Does it all work? And that's where they're at right now, and we realize in this passage that at the moment that Peter and John witnessed that Jesus had taken the time to fold the napkin that was on his face, it says they then began to believe. They believed what the scriptures had spoken. At that moment, everything that they had learned from even as a child of what the prophets had spoken... I want to take just a couple minutes for us to think about some of those words that were out there that indicate that when the Messiah will come, that he will be resurrected. Which would also indicate that he must have died in order to be resurrected. And here we have King Daniel in chapter 16 of the book of Psalms who would write words about the Messiah because he knew that the Messiah was part of his kingly line. Sometimes he wrote of himself but it was all a prophecy about how the Messiah would live his life, how he would die, and how he would rise again. And in uh, Psalms chapter 22, it actually talks about they would pierce his hands and his feet. So clearly, a thousand years before the death of Jesus, the Bible's predicted that, look for the one who has the marks in his hands and his feet and is wounded. In Psalms chapter 16, David wrote this, I will bless the Lord who has advised me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. 
I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forever. Here, King David is talking about the prayer of Messiah when he comes, that he will say, he says, I have sought you day and night, Lord, and I know that you're at my right hand and that you're with me. And then he says this, you will not abandon my soul to the underworld. If I walk on the journey of mankind, you will not leave me in that place where there is no sacrifice for, for, for um, the, the, the cost of the kingdom being shown upon the earth where people can be saved. Lord, you will not let me stay in the uttermost regions of the darkness where the souls go. But God, you will not allow my body to see decay. Now, why would that be in a prophecy about the Messiah? Because the Messiah was going to see that his body was going to be given an opportunity to decay, but God would not allow it to happen. If you read in the scriptures that when Nicodemus wanted the body of Jesus after he died on the cross, it says that Jesus was laid in a tomb that no man had ever been laid in. That sounds strange to us. And yet Nicodemus, who was a very rich man, decided that out of the rock he was going to carve out a tomb in which his body would be laid. And he wanted to be the first body in that tomb because they would use graves over and over again. They would take the dead person, they would place him in the tomb, they would put a stone in front of the door, and the body in that place would decay. And then when it had decayed, they would take the stone away. They would gather the bones and they would put them in an ossuary. They're all over Israel being uncovered now. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was laid in a tomb that no one else had ever been laid in. And Nicodemus, out of his love for Jesus, took what he had financially invested in, a dignified tomb that no other body had been in. And at that point, he just wanted Jesus to be the first one to have that tomb. Because God the Father wanted him to have such a burial of honor. It only makes sense. Jesus had already paid the price upon the cross. And God had determined that his body would not be, see decay. So that the very body that was sown into that grave was the body that was resurrected and still carried the marks of the nails in his hands and feet. All of that was for us. In Psalm 110, King David said this, the Lord says to my Lord, that's a strange passage. The Lord is speaking to the Lord. How many lords are there? How many gods are there? But this is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. There's only one God, but he's in three persons. And David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. No, Peter and John were hoping that Jesus would be seated on a throne in Jerusalem and deliver them from the Romans. And yet, 
The Bible says this, that the Messiah would receive the word from the Lord. No, my destiny for you is not an earthly throne, but my destiny for you is for you to be seated at my right hand. And Peter and John are getting all of this merely because Jesus demonstrating control folded the napkin and helped them to understand he's coming back. The Lord says to the Messiah, you will stretch out with a strong scepter from Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power in holy splendor from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. I love that verse. It's so amazing to me that the Bible reveals there that God said to the Messiah, when you are seated at my right hand, you are going to have a whole army of volunteers. A whole bunch of people that come to Jesus and they say this, I'll serve you and you don't need to pay me. I'm part of the volunteer army of the Lord. I, you bought me with a price. You shed your blood for me. And isn't it amazing that God speaks of you and me today that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as the volunteers of the Lord. He says to them that they will be radiant. The Lord is sworn and you will, he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever spoken to Messiah. Psalm 118, David said this, a stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's another passage where we realize the builders and the prophecies were the Jews, the nation of Israel, to build the land of promise. And the Lord says, but they, the builders will reject a stone but he will end up becoming the cornerstone by which everyone will come in alignment. Each individual saying, I must align my life with the one who died for my sins and paid a price for me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It was a stone that died on the cross, and what was raised from the dead was a cornerstone established by the hand of God. If you and I will come to Jesus Christ today, we align with the cornerstone of what God is doing upon the earth. We receive the salvation of the Lord. One last prophecy that the disciples would have understand when they saw the napkin folded. It says this in Isaiah 53, the Lord desired to crush him, Messiah. We might realize that Jesus was nailed by the hands uh, of the, the Romans through, through his hands and feet. We might realize that it was the, the Jewish nation that said, crucify him, crucify him. But ultimately, this scripture verse tells us that it pleased the Father to crush the Son on the cross. The very next line says this, he renders himself as a guilt offering. It wasn't Jesus without his own will being crushed on the cross by the Father, but it was an agreement between God the Father and God the Son. And their agreement was this. Jesus said, I am willing to render my body as a guilt offering to take the punishment for all mankind. Yes, it was a struggle for him. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified and he was saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And at that point, he surrendered himself to bear the punishment of my guilt, of our guilt, so that we can be saved, not by our own works, but by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was on the cross that the Father crushed 
him. He was bruised for our iniquities, the Bible says. Jesus, it says, concerning the Messiah, this, this prophecy, that he would see his offspring, those who would believe in him. The good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his, in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, God will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, the prophecy came forth that someone is going to die for the sins of the world. That he would pour out his life for many. We can sit here today, we can stand here today, knowing without a doubt that if you have come to Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The Bible says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. You say that sounds so easy. No, it wasn't so easy. Someone went to the cross. Someone descended into hell. Someone had to take his own grave clothes off. Someone had to rise again from the dead. Someone had to be seated at the right hand of God. And that all he asks of us is that we will give him lordship of our life. It wasn't easy. It wasn't cheap. It was just free. And the path was walked by someone else. You could come into this place today have never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and yet you can leave this place, not by my doing, not by virtue of sitting in this place, but by virtue of you just confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Because Mary Magdalene was a woman who came to him, and she was a very broken woman when she came. She was despised, and she would be someone that others looked at and said, man, everything just goes wrong for that woman. Nothing seems to ever work out for her. Peter and John went back believing about the prophecies and Mary Magdalene again. You know what? She just kept going back to the tomb. She had no other place to go. Mary, standing outside the tomb, we read, was weeping. So as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they put him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And yet she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to him, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Thinking that she, he was the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, or if you read it in the original, he said, Miriam. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, my rabbi, my teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brother's. And say to them, I am sending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. 
Mary was the one searching. Mary was the one that was looking. Mary was the one that Jesus decided he was going to reveal himself to. First person he showed himself to. Why? Because Miriam had a lot to lose. She had everything to lose. When she was walking into that tomb, she didn't know what she was going to see and saw two in white. One where the head of Jesus was and one where the feet of Jesus was. And she says, they said, woman, why are you weeping? She was going to be asked that twice. And she says this, because they've taken away my Lord. And as we read that passage, we realize she watched him die on a cross. She saw him naked, stripped, slapped, beaten, laid in the tomb, and the last thing she saw was an emaciated and broken body that she helped wrap with spices. And yet she still calls him my Lord. You know why? Because she didn't have anything else. At the end of the day, Mary Magdalene had nothing else to hold on to. It sounds like a terrible situation, but it's the best place she could have ever been where all she had was my Lord. She couldn't say my home. She couldn't say my husband. She couldn't say my kids. She couldn't say my gold, my silver, my ministry. No, she only had one my, and it was my Lord. I don't know where they put him. She turns around, and Jesus is there and doesn't recognize him. She can't see clearly through all of her tears. And Jesus asks the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll take him away. It's an amazing story. Jesus says, I mean, Mary says to Jesus, thinking he's the gardener, tell me where you took him, and I'll, I'll go get him. Really? Mary Magdalene, you're going to carry him somewhere? But none of that mattered right now. She just needed to know, am I free? Am I forgiven? And is my life going to go back down that road that I found myself in once before? Everything needed to show itself in all of its victory. And Jesus says to her, Mary, stop clinging to me. I haven't gone, I have to go to my father. I haven't gone to my father. And some people dare to say that's because if she touched him, he had gone through the cross and was now a new sanctified person and no human being could touch him before he got to the father. And yet when Jesus was in the upper room, he encouraged Thomas to stick his fingers in his hand and into his side. Jesus wasn't afraid of Mary Magdalene defiling him, but he was telling her this, Mary Magdalene, you don't need to hold on to me so hard. Stop clinging to me. This is all part of God's eternal plan. I'm going to go to the Father, and you're going to go to the Father. I'm going to go to my God, and you're going to go to my God. 
Mary Magdalene was clinging to him out of a sense of desperation and of loss, not knowing that these last three days were a road of triumph and of victory and of guarantee that the one who would set her free is also the one who had the power over death. Who else could you follow anybody any human, any philosopher, could you follow any God who did not prove that he has power over mankind's greatest enemy, power over the grave? And in that moment, she was freer than free because it wasn't a desperate, broken holding on to Jesus, but it was a worship to him. She had to let go because it was rooted in insecurity. And Jesus said, I want your clinging to me be rooted in the heart, the desire of the volunteers of the Lord. Mary, I'm just looking for volunteers. I welcome you to come hold on to me. Jesus had promised us he'll never leave us or forsake us. Why was Mary so desperate? We read in Luke chapter 8, just listen as I read this. Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out. No wonder she was so desperate. When we read the story of the life of Jesus, demons could blind people's eyes, could bind their tongues so they couldn't speak, could deafen people's ears, could God cause people to go stark raving mad that even chains couldn't hold them. They would strip off their clothes. They would snarl like animals. And Mary Magdalene was a woman with seven demons. And Jesus had set her free. What did that mean when he died on the cross? Jesus talked to us about how a person gets seven demons. Do you remember that? Jesus said that if a demon is cast out of a person, an evil spirit, a strategy of the enemy of of humanity comes to torment or disrupt a human being, that if that spirit is cast out, that he goes out and he wanders in waterless places, And then it says if he'll come back to the person who was delivered of the Spirit, and if he finds that the person was clean but not protected, the Spirit had been cast out, he would go and get seven others, and he would bring them to them. And the last state of that person was worse than the first. When Mary Magdalene saw Jesus die on the cross, she's thinking this. I've already gone through the process where I had one trouble, and then one trouble turned into seven troubles. And now if Jesus is gone, what a wreck am I going to be? If one turned into seven, seven can turn into 49. Jesus said the last state of that person would be worse than the first. But what Jesus was teaching all of us was the power of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was necessary for Mary Magdalene, no matter how heartbreaking it was, 
that the one who had seven spirits cast out of her would be now protected by the blood of Jesus Christ, would now be guaranteed that every process, power, and strategy of the enemy has been broken over her life. She needed to understand what the scriptures teaches us because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God has given to him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is saying, Mary, stop clinging to me because it's not about who I am at this moment. It's about who I've made you to be. It's about who I want you to be. I want you to take my victory. I want you to take the message of my cross. I want you to take the power of the blood of my sacrifice. And I want you to know that you will overcome by the power of the blood. That you will be protected by the power of the blood. And that Mary, you don't need me right here, right now in front of you with me holding on to you because you now know who you are in me. And that this resurrection from the dead is your guarantee, it's your sign that those spirits that bound you to the place of torment, sickness, and disease can no longer have you. You are free. Mary, you are free, free, free. And I will keep you for all eternity. You will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. It's such a good story. Listen, in all of our lives, there are moments where we would just say to ourselves, I need Jesus. I, Jesus, if you, how, Jesus, if you just appeared in my room right now, it means so much to me. Jesus, if I could just walk with you. Oh, if we could just have a conversation. And Jesus says, you can't cling that way. You've got to stand upon the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, the promises of God. You have to understand that you have been given everything, the Bible says, pertaining to life and godliness. I'm looking for a godlier life. It's been bought and paid for. I'm looking for more strength. It's been bought and paid for. Mary was about to learn that great lesson. In 1 Corinthians in 15, verse 12, let me just close with a couple scriptures. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. Why do some of us among us say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. See, that's what Mary was feeling. This is all in vain if Christ didn't rise. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most pitiful. The very crux, the foundation of our faith is this, is that Christ was raised. If you're tempted to look at yourself, don't look at Christ. 
If you're tempted to look at the circumstances you're facing right now, don't. Look at Christ. If you don't know what's happening inside of your marriage, in your home, and in your children, don't look at them. Just look at Christ. Everything else is vain, the Bible says. All of faith is vain. If Christ was not risen from the dead, it's all worthless. Mary was going to go through the struggles of life like anybody else. Mary Magdalene herself was going to end up dying. And yet Jesus gave her one message and, and one hope. It was the power of the resurrection and of the cross. You and I, all of us, man, we're heading we're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But the truth is this. Is that Christ has forgiven us by the power of the cross. It's cast away fear. If I know that if I were to die today, I know that my sins will not be counted against me because I place my sins on Jesus Christ and I am completely forgiven and I don't need to actually have him physically in front of me. I can actually walk in the full assurance that he is with me. John said this in Revelation 1. When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. You know, you can go and you can find coping mechanisms to get by in this world, but they come with no guarantees. You can find something that might be able to get you through the day or the week or the month, you can dull your pain, you can talk your way out of it or whatever it might be, but the truth of the matter is this, is that Jesus Christ came to break the power of sin and of destruction in our lives. It's not a guarantee from that point on you walk in perfection, but if you trust Jesus Christ today as your personal Lord and Savior, He has a promise to you that he's gone to the Father and he wants you to come with him. He's gone to his God and he's going to bring you into the presence of God as well. And someday, if you're washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ, this is hard to believe, but it's true. You will be able to boldly stand there, not arrogantly, but boldly stand there knowing that you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for your sins, that you're 100% forgiven, and you can have confidence before him in that day that he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the glory of the Lord. I want to urge everyone that's here today to not allow this Easter just to be a day that's set apart from others, a holiday or whatever it might be. I just want to urge everyone that's here today, as the Bible says, now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. 
come to him with 49 demons and brokenness and sickness and disease and regrets and sorrow and rejection. Come to him having lost your home, never gotten married, um, to be able to have children or a heritage or an inheritance or anything like that. Come to him with absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to try to win his favor and then just come to him and just be able to say, my Lord, my Lord. If you can say, my Lord, You've got everything. You've got everything. Let's all stand up this morning. Father, I thank you for the resurrection of the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I thank you, God, that he is our victory. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day of celebration. Thank you, Lord, that even in a world gone mad, we can know that we are safe and secure in you. We bless you and we thank you, Lord with every head bowed and every eye closed. I can't imagine a better day than coming to meet Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior on the day where we celebrate his resurrection. If you're here and you've never met Jesus, now listen, I'm not asking if you were raised a Christian. I'm not asking if you were baptized or catechized or, or whatever it might be. I'm just asking you this. Do you know without a doubt that your sins are washed away, that you're forgiven? Do you know the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of your life? If you're here and you've never met Jesus, you can come to him today. I'm gonna to ask you to respond in two ways. If you want today to be your day of salvation, and I'm not asking you to do something I didn't do. This is what I did. It's not a formula, but if you just say, I wanna be included in the closing prayer to invite Jesus into my heart to forgive my sins, I want you just to raise up your hand and just saying, I need that prayer and I'm willing to pray that prayer. And then also, if you raise up your hand, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and stand with me here in the front because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. This is a moment you shouldn't worry about what anybody else thinks, only what the Lord thinks. Your Lord, your God, your maker. Are you ready to get right with him today? If you're saying, yes, Pastor Jim, I want Jesus as my savior today. Would you just lift up your hand? Lift it up so I can see it. Then you can put it back down and you're just saying, I want him as my savior. I see your hand right there. Is there someone else today? You're just saying, Pastor Jim, today I gotta know. Just ask yourself this question. Do I know that I know that I'm saved? Because the Lord says, he'll, he'll speak to your heart and let you know. Anyone else? Just lift up your hand. Right there. Amen. God bless you. I see your hand right there. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Just lift up your hand. Allow the Spirit of God. I see your hand right there. God bless you. Is there anyone else? You know that the Holy Spirit is real. You'll feel a tug on your heart. You might say to yourself, but there's so many things I don't know. You don't have to. Just have to meet him. If you come to meet him, he'll explain the rest. Is there anyone else? Just lift up your hand saying, today, I want to be saved. I want to receive eternal life. I see your hand right there. God bless you. Anyone else? It's a holy moment. I see your hand right there. God bless you. Anyone else? If you have that tug on your heart today, you need to understand it might not always be there. 
the Lord calling you. Respond to it. Several raise your hand today, but we're all going to join you together in prayer. Those of you who raise your hand, we're going to ask you to repeat these words with us today. Even if you didn't raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer, and I want to invite you to come forward at the end. But just pray it. God's watching. He's listening to every word. Every word that's ever come out of your mouth, he's listened to. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, God in heaven, you are the one who made me. You've watched me my whole life. I come to you today. I want to be restored. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me of everything unrighteous. I get off the throne of my heart. I make Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, live in me. Wash me clean. I receive forgiveness. I receive eternal life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me a child of God. As you live in me, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who raise your hand, would you please come forward? Pam, could you give me that water bottle? Amen. God bless you all. And the Lord heard your prayer. This is the most important day of your life. You'll have lots of them. This is the most important. Because Jesus now will come and he'll move inside of your heart. And you will never, ever be the same again. He will mark you with the Holy Spirit. And as you live for him, he will live for you. So would you stretch your hands towards these folks? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the the Spirit of God, who's faithful to call, who's faithful, Lord God, to ordain that this day you planned it, Lord. And Father, as we stretch our hands towards them, as I lay my hands upon them, pray for each one of them, Father. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Just fill them with your Holy Spirit, oh God. Let that well of joy, the joy of their salvation, just flood up inside their hearts. I pray, oh God, that they would never be the same again, Father. I pray, Lord, seal this decision today. And I pray and I ask you, Heavenly Father, that their lives would bring forth great fruit and that they would be a bright light in this world, God. Let them be the salt of the earth, Lord. We receive them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We receive them, O oh Lord, into the family of God. We pray, O oh Lord God, let us be that unit, that surrounding, that support network, Lord, for each other. And I thank you, God, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you. God bless you, man.
Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for coming forward. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, man. Amen. Amen. The power of the resurrection, right? God is so good. Father, I pray your blessing, your peace, your joy, your provision. Oh, right here. You know what? Brunhilde, I didn't pray for you. I didn't see you standing back there. Tell me your name. Irma. Irma? Yes. So, Father, I just thank you for this day, for Irma. And I thank you, Lord God, for the day of salvation of the Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just strengthen her. Let her live for you all the days of her life. I thank you, Lord, seal her and protect her. Thank you for the glory of the Lord upon her, Father. And I just thank you, Lord God, that you called this day for her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. We're going to be baptizing. We're going to be um, doing a baby dedication. I know that it's a holiday. I'd like to welcome you, though. If you could stand together as witnesses, as family to these baptisms and this community of dedicating these children, as quickly as I can get changed, we're going to be out there and do that, all right? So God bless you all. I pray the peace, the joy, the provision, protection, the comfort of the Lord. I pray that God would just use you for the advancement of his kingdom and righteousness. Go in the power of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you all. Meet me outside to the left, and we're going to be baptizing and dedicating, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.